0: Hi, this is Tom Ryan and you're listening to Superlet Podcast.
1: everyone. We have a special guest with us. Superlit is a bi-weekly podcast pertaining to the books about the LGBT community. And Sophie and I have an awesome special guest. Say hello, everyone. Hello,
0: everyone. Hello.
1: (laughs) Of course. On brand.
0: Oh, no. Sorry, did I screw that up?
1: No, no, no. Uh, Sophie and I just are really good at podcasting and always do the right thing. We're big professionals. Professional, But um, our special guest today is Tom Ryan. He is the author of Keep This to Yourself, and uh, I don't want to keep this to myself, so we need to talk about this book.
0: <laughs> Good joke. That, that, I love that joke. I have never heard it before. <laughs> I'm sure you've
1: heard it at least once, and I'm sure you're exhausted uh, hearing it. Um, so Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book?
0: I'd love to. Okay, so uh, Keep This to Yourself is my first mystery. Um, it's the story of a young uh, guy named Mac. He is uh, a very recent high school graduate. Um, the story actually starts on his high school graduation night. And he lives in a very small town called Canberra Cove, which is sort of a, a coastal a tourist town in a remote part of, uh, the, in the book, it's Maine. I originally wrote it as Nova Scotia because that's where I'm from, but uh, my publisher asked me to change it to Maine. So it's coastal, you get the idea, like east coast um, on the sea. Uh, and a year previous to the story, there was a serial killer who kind of caused havoc in Camera Cove and killed four people. And um, the final victim of the serial killer who is known as the catalog killer because he would leave uh, uh, catalog clipping with each of the victims' bodies was Connor, who was the main character, Max's best friend. And so a year after the murders, the town's trying to get on with things and uh, Mac is trying to, you know, move on with his life. And he's thinking of getting away from camera cove, going away to college. And he finds a clue that indicates to him that Connor, his best friend had been on the hunt for the killer when he was killed himself. And so Mac decides that he's going to, to try and um, dig into the case himself in order to sort of avenge his friend's death. And things kind of go from there.
1: So when I picked up this book, I, I guess because it came out in May, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, it came out at the end of May. When I I uh, I picked it up, Barnes and Noble sent me this huge box, and I was like, "What is this?" And I I didn't know what it was yet, so I opened it. This I'm not even kidding, like ginormous box. Like I could I could fit a pair fit a pair of shoes in it. Um, and I opened it. I'm like, "Oh, this is like great packaging for like this book that I've been very much looking forward to." Um, I didn't realize like how much of it like I guess like mystery thriller it was going to be. It was very um, it was a very good surprise. Great. I'm glad to hear it. And, um, so where so, um, this is your first like mystery style book. Where did you get the idea to do a mystery style book?
0: Well, I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of background. So I'm Canadian and I've been publishing in Canada since 2012. And I've previously published two YA titles in Canada and they were both queer. They were both, they both had gay males as main characters and, They were very straightforward contemporary books. And at a certain point, I decided about four years ago that I wanted to make a shift. And I I love writing YA and I love contemporary YA, but I have always really, really loved mystery thrillers. And when I was in high school, I inhaled them. Like back in the 90s, you could not put... um, lois duncan or christopher pike or rl stein even old stuff like agatha christie in front of me fast enough i just ate those books i love them and so i decided that i was going to kind of take a step back from my straightforward contemporary stuff and move in a different direction so it took me a while to kind of come up with the, the the general premise but as soon as the idea finally clicked in my head everything was it all fell into place it was it was one of the best experiences I've had writing a book because it was a new experience to me to have a puzzle to solve for the reader in my, in my straightforward contemporary that hadn't really been a thing. You're, you know, you're telling a story about characters and you want them to be authentic and you want there to be a, a plot and a story arc and a character arc. But with a mystery, you really need to have that extra layer of um, suspicion and, a calculation for the, the, you take the reader on a journey where they're trying to figure something out. And so it was a real wonderful experience to, to write the book. And, uh, I'm kind of rambling, but you know, basically it was my first mystery because I, I always love mysteries and, and I just wanted to see if I could do one. And once I started, I knew that i I really hit my sweet spot.
1: Sophie and I were reading this on the beach next to each other. And we tried to, if we see each other while we're reading the books, not talk about it. And I we always have a hard time, but it was like really difficult because I was a few chapters ahead of her to not be like, okay, when you get to this part, I need to know your thoughts right now because I'm really bad at picking out like the who's who. I, I'm bad at playing clue basically. And which is funny because it's in the book, but um I I'm really bad at like figuring things out. And this was I felt that this book like uh it was spelled out like well enough that I could like try to figure it out better than I have with other books, but it was still difficult enough that I didn't know what was going on until the end.
2: Every time I read like a mystery book, I'm always like every new character. I'm like, they did it. It's them. I don't trust them. They're new. Like literally every character was like them. It was them. It's like, I'm so suspicious of every character. And I don't think there, I think there was a point in this book where every single person was like, it's them. They're the catalog killer. They did it. Every single character, the dog did it. They did it.
0: Yes, it has exactly. to be. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. I mean that to me, that says I did something right because I, I really did work really hard at creating a small town that had, you know, lots of secrets, not just the secrets behind the mystery, but other things were going on as well. And so that, you know, allowed me to, you know, give every, every one of the main characters, at least a, you know, kind of a layer of suspicion. So I'm very happy that you felt that way. And I'm also really happy that on the beach because to me it feels like a real summer beachy thriller sort of book.
1: Oh, I definitely agree that it's very like a summer and it, it takes place during the summer too. And I felt like even though they had just graduated from high school, I feel like it was taking place like right now, like during like 4th of July, July weekend, I felt like this was like the perfect time to read this book. And it was just like really nice because I've found that in like these kinds of books, if there is a queer like main character, they're already established and they're already like out and there isn't like necessarily a coming out. So it's different than a lot of the other books that we've read together where there's like a coming out story. It's kind of like established and it's like, okay, well maybe we'll find a boyfriend. Maybe we'll have like a crime solving duo. And I love getting to read books like this because we got to get that with Quill.
0: Yes, Quill. And I, you know, that was really fun for me to write too, because I, it's, it's the thing. So I've heard the argument so many times that there are so many coming out books, there don't need to be any more coming out books. And I I could not disagree more. I think coming out, the coming out story is, in my opinion, it's it's universal. I think as, as long as people are going to have that experience, typically in their teen years um, or their younger years, uh, you know, exploring their sexual and gender identity and figuring out who they are then there's going to be room for those stories to be told but we also need lots of i I think there's loads of space to tell stories about teens where that's just side uh, not not necessarily a side story because max sexuality is really a part of him it's part of you know uh, certainly his feelings for connor um his dead friend you know impact on the story Um, but i think that Uh, having the opportunity to tell a story where it's a a clear right out of the gates that he's gay and give him the chance to go off and be a detective and fall for Quill, who is one of my favorite characters in the book um, was just a total treat for me. And it was something that I I was hoping readers would pick up on. So I'm glad that I'm glad that y'all liked it.
1: Sophie, how do you feel about Quill? Because I feel like we spoke about him the other day and I need to hear it again.
2: I think when we were, when we were reading next to each other, I had just gotten to the part where he had like it, he had, they had met, but it was like their second time, like hanging out with her like, like, okay, okay, we're we're going to go now. And like, um, he was, he's like a lot, but I, but I liked it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's, he is a lot. And he's very, very different from Mac, which was deliberate. I, I wanted there to be two completely different gay teens who fall for each other. And, uh, you know, I, I have had criticisms that it was insta-love and, you know, I can see that. But at, at the same time, I kind of feel like sometimes there's just this immediate attraction between opposites. And that's kind of what I was going for with these two.
2: He's definitely... I felt like a character where I was like, if I met you in real life, I'd be extremely intimidated by you, but also, like, comforted. Like, I'd be like, you're, like, a lot, but I want to hang out with you.
0: Totally. And I think he does... He Quill is a character who... Uh, is necessary. I think in another world, it could have been Quill's story and Mac could have been the the secondary character, the romantic interest, but, um, he's got his own reasons for searching out the catalog killer. And, you know, he, he adds a lot to Mac's perspective. And I think that, you know, the opposite is true as well.
1: I think the direction that you took with the story, having it be Mac's story and like Quill being someone that he meets along the way, I think because this is the only way I know the story. I'm like, yes, this is perfect. This is the way it is. And I appreciated how sassy and flirty that Quill is with Mac, because I I just feel like that's like, I don't, there's always, I feel like there's always the person who's maybe more comfortable and the one that's just like, yes, I'm going to do the driving, if you will. And like Quill was just that person. I was just like, yes, I love this.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, Mac is out clearly, but I think he's got his hangups and, you know, he's, there's the whole, so I think you, you would both agree. This is kind of a difficult book to talk about without giving too much away, but um, I'm not saying I think too much to say that, you know, Max sort of is struggling with his feelings for his straight friend Connor who died. And I think that there are some emotional complications there that, you know, Quill coming in and being a, you know, more straightforward, confident, Uh, person really, really kind of helps them along and makes it, I I think it pulls it away from being kind of a a tragic gay story, which I, you know, I always kind of um, want to avoid if possible.
1: Yeah. That's the thing. I've had a conversation with my mom. What was the Uh, Dallas Buyers Club where I was like, yeah, I, I mean, it's probably a great movie, but it's, it's literally beyond tragic for the one a uh, queer person in it who is not even uh, actually queer, if I remember correctly, they are played by a straight actor, but are queer in the movie. Um, there, there's, I guess, a time and place for you know the tragic stories, but like if it's all the time, it's just like really hard to get through.
0: And I was thankful that this was not one of them. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, it's a tragic, it is a tragic story because it's a story about four people being killed by a serial killer. And that's definitely tragic, but I don't think the tragedy stems from the queerness. The queerness has kind of its own side story going on along the rest of the the plot. Yes,
1: exactly. Um, Let me think. I have, so I have like a little list of questions. Um, So when you were trying to like formulate, I guess, did you have any like inspiration for Quill or Mac?
0: As far as actual, no. I di- I mean, the inspiration, it, it's hard to describe inspiration. Sometimes a character arrives because you picture a person from your own life and then start to imagine them in different circumstance. Uh, in this particular book, they both just kind of came organically with the story. And I, w- I will say that... Years ago, I had a plan for another YA, straightforward contemporary, not a murder mystery, that was going to f- revolve around four or five teens who had been best friends in junior high and had kind of split apart in various ways by the time they got to graduation. And I was going to tell that story in a four or five voice kind of format. And so that was the seed that was way back in my head. I, I mean, I put that story aside a long time ago and at some point, um, you know, I moved on to other things. And when I started to think about the mystery, I think that that, you know, that bare st- bone structure of that, you know, group of friends who've split apart came back to me and I started to think, you know, who would be the main character. And it was natural for me to write the main character to be a gay, gay teen. And things kind of came from there. And Mac, you know mac kind of emerged organically as far as quill he really just stepped out of that door in the trailer park and was fully formed it w- it was one of those you know wonderful gifts as a writer where a character just pops onto the it, you know you close your eyes and he he's just standing there saying things and you really just have to follow him through the story so they both kind of came quill, mac kind of evolved over time but quill really showed up and there he was
2: That seems in character for both of them.
0: (laughs) I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, what you just described, I think that actually like Sophie just said, sounds really perfect for them. And, uh, I'm sure Sophie could tell you, I have a love for like teenage crime sleuthing people. Like I loved pretty little liars, the TV show and the books. Um, it's kind of like a guilty obsession. So when like something is presented in that style to me, um, I need to read it immediately. And this was, like, fulfilling, like, a different kind of thing that, like, uh, obviously, like, that TV show never gave to me. But, the, like, this, I think also because I'm kind of, I wouldn't, Sophie, would you call my town, like, a small town? Or, like, Ish. medium?
2: Medium-ish. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, because I, I grew up across the street from a farm. Like I remember being a kid like walking around on that farm and like being friendly with the the family that owned it. So just like roaming around the farm and like the aspects of the book were like there's like the community library where people do like the the uh, the yard sales and the things like that. It's it spoke a lot to me. So I felt like this was like
0: something that I really got into. So um I do have to ask, how big was your town?
1: Um South Brunswick is a little weird. Um, it is next to Princeton in New Jersey. So it's not, um, it's like near a highway. We have like the farm near me. Um, the, my development was actually made once they sold off the land for the farm that was here. Um, so my area of South Brunswick, like the only thing that I can walk to is a Wawa Um, And that's the only thing that we have sidewalks that connect to. We have one grocery store. They're building another now. Uh, But it's, I would say that mine is small, but
0: I know there are like actual small towns. Well, I think, okay. So I grew up in a super small town. We're talking like 1300 people in the middle of nowhere. on the coast in Nova Scotia, which is one of Canada's eastern provinces. But I've heard from so many people since I wrote this book telling me that they love the small-town atmosphere, and it it reminded them of their small town. And sometimes that's a 30,000-person town in Iowa, and I I really love that because I think that small towns are – once you've lived in one it doesn't it's not really about population it's about the feel about the vibe about you know the haunts and I don't know that's really appealing to me because I love small towns I love writing small towns and so I'm really I'm really happy to hear that you you connected with it that way too
1: I think it translated really well and I think also you're you're doing like home improvement on a home somewhere if I remember correctly
0: Yes. So my husband and I are both from Nova Scotia and he's in the the Navy. So we move around a lot. This, is, we actually moved this week. I think I was, I was uh, messaging back and forth with you this week about um, our move. I'm literally sitting in my new office. I, I got, um, Wi-Fi set up this morning. I'm surrounded by boxes because we just moved to Ottawa, which is Canada's capital, from Toronto, which is Canada's, uh, go Raptors, biggest city, and uh, we've lived on the East Coast, we've lived on the West Coast, and so uh, this is our fourth move in four years, and so it's hard to feel like we have roots, however, we both do come from the East Coast, from Nova Scotia, and about three years ago, we bought an old, really spooky, very cool, but creepy old house back in the woods, in the mountains, uh, in Nova Scotia. And we're really slowly fixing it up. And I, it's nice to have that. That's kind of our home base. So I'm going there in three weeks and I'll spend almost three months there working on a new book and, uh, yeah, I love it. So that's, that's kind of my connection still to the small town life I, I grew up with.
1: That sounds amazing. I'm really excited to like, uh, see pictures from it. Cause I, I remember we spoke a while ago about the plants that are outside of the house. Um, I, I have a big green thumb. I love planting things. And I love that like you were so open to being like, Oh yes, these are the flowers that are growing here. And here's a picture of my dog in the bushes and like this, this, and this. And I think also because you actually come from a small town, I think that's why you were able to write it so well. Cause you know, the
0: feeling. Oh, well, that's nice to hear. And I, you know, I love small towns and I, I gave, I did another podcast interview recently where this, that we talked a lot about small towns because the interviewer had grown up in a similar sort of setting as I did. And the thing about a small town to me is that, you know, throughout life, wherever you come from, you can grow up in, you know, London or, uh, you know, Buenos Aires or uh, Houston, Or a small town, wherever, but you're going to have your contacts. You'll have your family contacts, you'll have your school contacts, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're from a very small town, there's this sort of a different thing going on where people know everybody, and people know everybody's business, and sometimes you're related to half the people in this environment, and and connections go way, way back. So there's sort of a web of interaction that happens, which personally I feel really helps me as a writer, because I'm always thinking about how is person X connected to person C and for me that's kind of at the root of all stories how are people connected one way or another and I think being from a small town gives me that sort of certain perspective on how in one way or another everybody is connected but you know when you get down into the weeds you can you can find some really interesting stories there.
1: I definitely think I guess it's funny my graduating class was I think anywhere from 750 to 900 people and even if I didn't know a person, I knew something about them because I guess we all just uh, were gossip <laughs> gossip people. Um, and uh, I feel like that is definitely
0: correct. Oh, my God. And the gossip is such a part of it, for <laughs> sure. I, lo- I mean, I won't lie. I love to gossip. I love Twitter gossip. It's amazing.
1: The authors that I follow, when they're, like, I guess, spilling tea with each other and only they know what's happening, I'm just like, let me in the group. Let me know what's going
0: on. Oh my god, 100%. I need to know everything. And sometimes I'm like, are they talking about me? And I know they never are, but because it's all, all these subtweets, I'm like, maybe I should be a little bit more careful about how I'm behaving.
1: <laughs> I feel like Sophie has sent me my own tweets before, and she's like, did you really just tweet that at someone? And I'm like, yes.
2: It's usually just a screenshot, and I'm like, listen, you can't just say this to people. You can't just send memes to people.
1: <laughs> I, I can't help it that So many authors I, like, admire on Twitter, and I just want to send my love. Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Oh, we
0: love it. It's wonderful.
2: Meanwhile, I'm, like, panic, like, sending up, like, a a tweet at someone, be like, oh, I just want to tell them that I really like their book, but I don't want it to seem, like, too weird, or, okay, well, I have to word this differently, and then Brendan's like, here's a meme, I love your stuff, and I'm like, why didn't I just do that? I should have just done that.
1: Just tweet at every author and ask them their favorite Carly Rae Jepsen song.
2: Yeah, honestly. (laughs)
1: Oh, uh, I thought we weren't gonna go here. <laughs> well, well, we're someone,
2: to the interview now. So,
1: <laughs> someone no, said no. to bring up Alanis Morissette. Um, I didn't know she was
0: Canadian. Alanis is totally okay. First of all, um, the '90s was Canada's pop superstar female decade so it was alana selen and shania all are canadian and they dominated the charge for the entire decade of the 90s so i can go i can go there no problem it's the new stuff that kind of gets to me because i'm in my 40s now
1: i forget that shania twain is from canada and i don't know why but i imagine her to be like a country singer
2: well she was sort of but
1: like an american country singer. i don't know i don't know why i immediately am like the south owns her but if you, if you country
2: music, then you're immediately like from Texas or Tennessee. But I'm no, really no, glad no.
1: that the South of America, like the Southern United States does not own her because they don't deserve her.
0: No, Shania is. So we have Canada country. I don't know if, if you all have ever been to Canada, but it's very it's a wonderful, strange country, and there is a really there's a band of country music uh, up here that um, people don't really expect. And a lot of people end up heading down to, to Nashville and striking their rich like Shania.
2: Okay. So field trip to Canada to hang out in the country music scene.
0: Yes. Come to my farmhouse anytime. Oh my God. Actually, that would be that. great. <laughs> yeah.
2: I would love to be in spooky woods with a thriller writer and just not get murdered. It'd be fine.
0: And our house is haunted too. No, no shit. It's seriously haunted. <gasps> what? Mhm I'm I'm telling you so when we when we bought this place I know we're off, off track right now but it's it's too good a story not to tell so we bought this house in the middle of nowhere and we've been there you know we didn't move in it was it's kind of like a summer house we bought it really cheap and it's falling into the earth so we're really slowly taking it back to life anyway long story short we'd been there for 3 days and someone stopped by to say how's it going we saw that you're in the neighborhood etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, have you met the old lady yet? No. Oh <laughs> my no, God, no. stop. Yes, the old lady. And so within a week, we'd heard from three separate people who had nothing to do with each other about how this house is haunted by an old lady. And the worst part was that its I, it's hard to emphasize how remote this place is. It's on a very scary old road and we're the only people at the end of this road. We have no neighbors. It's in the forest and it's it's spooky like it's really spooky and so I was there my husband was there we're working on it and then he had to go back to to work he left and I I was there by myself with the dog and honestly I it's fine if there is a ghost there which you know there have been a couple of weird things have happened I I think she's a nice ghost Um, I'm not literally knocking on wood right now Um, but there were a few days where I thought, I if 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 I make it through alive, I, I, I'm I'm a lucky person.
1: That is so interesting. I literally, I always tell my parents that I think our house is haunted, and they're like, Yeah, sure. And I'm like, No, like I really feel like, what was that move? Ha- the haunting of Hill House, you know, like the tall man. I feel like I've seen that out of the corner of my eye, but I feel like that's also a thing that like your eyes do when they don't like understand what's like in front of them. Um, but it's so interesting to hear that your house is haunted by an old lady.
0: Yeah, she's an old lady who saved uh, a family from burning. And uh, anyway, I won't go on too long about this, but I did, I was painting, I was taking down, out um, baseboards to paint behind them. And I found a very old, like from the late 1800s, picture of an eyeball, like a woman's eyeball underneath the baseboard staring up at me. It was the scariest, scariest thing. That is terrifying. Oh, no. It was horrible. It was the worst thing. Anyway, now I have it framed on the wall and it's kind of like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean into her and hope that she's protecting me and not trying to, you know, drive me out.
2: If you respect her space, she'll respect yours and then you can write a really good spooky story about it.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, is that where the inspiration for the eyeball from
0: the story came from? Do you mean the the weird guy who has the murder tours?
1: No, oh, the um <laughs> there's the the, the part where um, Mac gets back to his truck, and there's, um, I'm saying truck like he's drawing a Mac truck, uh, and the window in the dust, there's the uh, the eyeball that's
0: drawn. Oh my god, I had never made that connection. No, I wrote that before, but that makes it almost spookier that an eyeball just like came out of the walls of my house. Oh, yikes.
1: That's actually a really funny coincidence, if you think about it. Totally. Sophie, do you have any fun questions?
2: Um, I have one question and keep it as spoilery free as possible, obviously, because we want everyone to read this book. Um, but I always have this thought when I'm reading any kind of mystery book or horror or anything, um, when you started to come up with the idea, did you start from the end and work backwards? Like, did you get the idea for like, all right, this is the person that did all the stuff Now, how do I like cover it up? Or did you kind of like work your way towards that?
0: Okay. That's a great question. And I think I can answer it without spoiling. So I had the opening scene first. I imagine these, um, these friends opening a time capsule. And then I started to imagine somebody was missing. Why are they missing? And then I imagined they were killed. And so that kind of set up the story. There was a murder. It happened a year ago and I was really early in the process of writing it and plotting it out. Like I had maybe written a couple of pages of the first chapter. It was just an idea. And I was out with my dog in the park. I take my dog for a long walk every morning. And that's when I kind of do my, you know, my mental prep for a day of writing and out of the blue came the idea for who the murderer was. So I had the very, very beginning and I had the very, very end. And then I had to work my way through the whole story. So I knew who it was very early. And then the rest of the story kind of fell into place. If That makes sense.
2: No, it does. Yeah. I I think that's fascinating because I think that would be the only way I'd be able to do something like this. I would have to have, the final like even just like the final scene I would have to have like that in my head so I could work backwards because otherwise there would be so many plot holes I would there would be nothing that I would there would be so many loose ends there's so much that's like this is a book where I want to like immediately go back and reread it because I'm like okay, so this person was connected to this thing and this. So I want to go back to like the first chapter that they show up in and see if there's like things I didn't pick up on initially. Like I want to go back and like find the clues.
0: Yeah. And I, do you know what, uh, having that final, I, I think I taught myself a very valuable lesson just kind of inadvertently about writing a mystery, which is figure out the end early and then work towards it because it saves you a lot of trouble where you don't want to be setting up, you know, red, red herrings and sending people in the wrong direction and setting up false, you know, suspicions. If you don't know where you're going, it's a lot easier to do that if you know where you're headed and then you can kind of do it in a calculated way. But that said, even knowing where I was going by the time we got into copy edits and even proofreads, my editor and copy editor were picking up stuff at the, you know, last minute, like when there was a day or two left to, you know, make final changes where they were like, oh, we didn't account for if this happened on this day, then that doesn't make sense that this happened at the end. Like there were a lot of plot holes. It was really, it was a complicated story to write. And there were some moments right at the end where I was like, oh shit, if I don't, if we hadn't figured this out, I, don't, I, I would have been, you know, if they had put it, sent it to print and this problem had been in the text, it would have been, you know, I would have Run off into the woods and hidden there forever.
2: Just run away with the old lady in the woods.
0: Exactly, my and my dog. Always the dog. Always my baby.
2: Um, I th- yeah, I think that's so fascinating. Anytime I, because I am not, I'm not the most perceptive person. Like I feel like I'm very gullible. Like my friends have have gotten away with like a lot of things. Be like we've been planning this for like weeks. Why haven't you noticed? I'm like I don't just don't pay attention to the things. I guess so. I'm feel like I'm not very good at reading mystery novels and I'm always like, confounded. I'm like, how did this happen? Why did I miss all these clues? What, what did Honestly, I do? Same.
0: Perfect readers. I love it. I did, the, so I'm, there are so many different types of mystery readers. You all are my favorite because you don't know what's going to happen and then you miss it. And then it's surprising. <laughs> um, the, the, the kinds that I, I really appreciate because I'm kind of this sort of reader are the ones who are you know, going through it with a fine-tooth comb trying to figure out what happened. But that's really frustrating because, you know, I I'm not supposed to look at my Goodreads. It's one of the the things that they tell you when you're a published author is stay away from Goodreads. But I do read them because I find I find valuable, you know, tips from, you know, savvy readers. But there are readers who picked up on stuff really early and they're like, it was so easy to figure out. And it's, you know, it's it's always going to be difficult to read that because I was trying to make it a complicated mystery but also just easy enough to solve if you're really if you're really astute so hopefully i struck a balance and i'm glad i'm glad you all didn't figure it out
2: well anyone can say that they knew how it was going to end after they finished the book and be like oh yeah i got the whole first first page i was i I nailed it yeah i got it whatever
1: exactly that's how i feel because like anytime i see because i look at the goodreads stuff uh and thankfully, I'm not a published author, so I can look through them and not feel any kind of anything other than like, are you lying? Because I feel like you're lying. Because I went through it, and I was like, okay, maybe this person did it. And then I got to the end, and I was like, well, uh, nope. that was The dog didn't do it. Um, so just like Sophie said, someone at the end could be like, oh, yeah, I totally knew what was going on. It's like, how? Did, how? I would love to know. I
2: was going to say, I'm also the type of person who will have be completely oblivious to all clues but then also pick up on something that's completely irrelevant to everything and then just go off on that trail and be like i got it this is it and i'm going in the complete wrong direction and i think i have it and then i'm like oh no this is this is nothing i'm just the that leaf on the ground meant nothing i was just overthinking everything oh no
0: so, Sophie, I have a question for you um, because I did hear that you don't typically like spooky books, and I tried not to make it too spooky. And there's no gore or anything. But did did it spook you? Were you scared, or were you able to get through it without too much hassle? Uh,
2: no, it was good. There was a there was a few moments where it got like when it started to get more thrillery. Um, it was good, though. It was like kind of like the tenseness that you like from a thriller novel. But I enjoyed it the whole time. But, yeah, I'm an absolute baby. I don't like true crime at all, and I don't like like spooky stuff normally. i I love a spooky ghost. I like a like a paranormal thing, but when it's like real people being sketchy, I'm like, I don't I don't like this. I don't want to be here. But this was the perfect level of spooky. <laughs>
0: glad to hear it True crime kind of messes with me too sometimes because it's different when it's in a in a novel and it's made up but when you hear like all this crazy stuff that someone actually did that can sometimes I mean like I'm pretty I read a lot of true crime and I listen to a lot of true crime crime podcasts but every once in a while it's like oh man this is so discouraging that humanity went in this direction.
2: I think, yeah, that's another step of it. I Knowing that this is fiction, I'm like, okay, this is okay. I can, like, separate myself from this. But, yeah, my roommate listens to a lot of true crime podcasts, and we've, like, hit a point where she'll be, like, cooking dinner and, like, listening to one, and I'll just, like, walk into the kitchen. I'm like, you have to turn that off, please. Like, I don't want to hear about body parts. I know this is real. I don't want to hear about it. Please no.
0: I think that's totally fair. Oh,
1: yeah, totally. I, I, <laughs> I made mean, Sophie listen to welcome to nightville when she you were living with me for like uh, on and off for like a month and i had well i would listen to it when i go to bed and i'm like okay we're gonna listen to cecil baldwin talk now good night and that 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 podcast can be scary and i should
0: not have done that
2: well i know the glow cloud isn't actually gonna get me so that's okay but if are you, you sure
0: been... uh... yeah you don't know that
2: <laughs> if you were like, all right, we're going to listen to, I don't know what, my favorite murder, I think is the one my roommate listens to it. And then just like, I'm like, good night. Here's a bunch of scary things about horrible people. and be like, why am I here? No.
0: Yeah. I think that's a different thing for sure. <laughs> yes. Um,
2: <laughs> no, but I think this was, I do really like mystery novels. I normally lean towards, there was like a really long period of time in college where I think I only read like Charlene Harris books because I, got obsessed with like i love like fantasy and all that jazz so she writes really good like murder mysteries and it's the same level of like this is fiction i know this isn't real and there's murders happening and it is like crime but it's not i'm not getting squigged out it's good
0: have you all read sarah waters she's my favorite oh no i haven't oh my god sarah Waters. she doesn't really write I don't know if I would say mysteries. So she writes lesbian historical novels and they're amazing. She's one of my favorite writers. So definitely, definitely check her out.
2: Uh, Okay. Um, we're, yes, we need to investigate that more because we need to read. I love this book. This was a great book, but we need to read more books about some gay ladies. (laughs)
0: yeah oh that's her thing and they're like they're sexy and they're they are missed they tend to be like mystery thrillery but set in like different times like everything from world war ii to back in like dickensian england and they have the best plots she's the best plotter ever so she's kind of she's british and she's kind of a, i guess you would call her literary fiction but her stories are so gripping and so like I don't know, they're spooky and uh, twisty turny with like amazing romances and great sex scenes. Like she's a really, she's one of my all time favorites. So definitely check her out.
2: Okay. Adding her to the, to the to read list.
1: Yes. yes, We've been trying to find some uh, authors that write um, more female driven things because I obviously have an, an inclination of liking a certain kind of story and we've been having a harder time finding stories about um, other members of the LGBT family. And uh, thank you so much for giving us that suggestion.
0: So I'm, you know, full disclosure, I'm a gay, white, able-bodied, cisgendered male. So I recognize that I, you know, I come from a place of privilege and I try to, you know, in my reading, I try to be diverse as possible because it's really easy to, to, you know, to get. I don't think there's any shame in liking what you like. That's fine. But it's also important to be, uh, to recognize how much other stuff is out there and you know make a bit of an effort to kind of, to lean into that. So there's lots of great stuff out there. Line in the Dark by Melinda Lowe is really, really good. If you guys want to read uh, um, a lesbian focused YA thriller, it's really great. Check it out.
2: I'm just writing this down on my phone. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah. I literally just took a notepad out and I'm like, I'm getting schooled. This is amazing.
0: No, and I don't mean to school, but definitely like if you, I, I'll send you these in uh, in a, a message later too.
1: Oh no! It, literally, we love this. Thank you so much because uh, a lot of what we've read has just been like Sophia or I stumbling upon it. The last book that we read was about a trans superhero, and that I that was a suggestion made by one of our friends. And it's oh, we love any kind of suggestion that we we're ever given. I feel like. I wish people would interact with us more on Twitter and give us like more suggestions because I would love to read things other than like uh, something that I know.
0: Ooh, what is the trans superhero book? I need to know.
2: Uh, no, it's It's called dreadnought and it's actually the first in a trilogy. The second one's out and the third one is coming out soon. And then the author's name is April Daniels. That's correct, right? Yes. It's very good.
0: Okay. I've written it down already.
2: Um, I love this idea of the uh, like lesbian historical fiction though, because my other uh, weakness is like I w- grew up with Jane Austen. She'll forever be like one of my favorite authors. I think I've read some of her books so many times. Um and I'm in a deep wormhole, I will never escape of Outlander. And it's so good. It's so like such good like historical, just like drama, but it's so straight. <laughs>
0: Yes. Okay. Listen, I'm going to give you a suggestion. Go get the book Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. Don't read anything about it. Just read it. And then report back to me on Twitter. It will blow your mind.
2: I love going in blind to a book. This is perfect.
1: You've literally done us such a big favor by suggesting us books. I love this. Thank you so much, Tom.
0: Great. No problem.
2: Okay. Added to wish list. It's going to be, I'm going to jump in soon. Can't wait. I'll, I'll harass you on Twitter. Once I get into it.
0: I love it. But,
1: um, I think the only thing other thing that I had a question about was, um, so I know you said in a message to me that you're going to thriller fest. Yes. I'm going day after
0: tomorrow and I am so excited. Okay. So what is thriller fest? Because I need to know. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's the world's, I think it's the world's biggest convention for mystery and thriller writers. And it is in New York city this week. And it's the, it's the annual convention for the international thriller and mystery writers association or the international thriller writers association. Okay. Um, I'm on the YA panel on Saturday with, uh, Anna Gere, Rachel Kane, Christy Dougherty, F Paul Wilson, and RL Stein, which is, I still can't believe that this is happening, and uh, we'll be um, at Thriller Fest on Saturday morning talking about YA thrillers, and it's just a really cool convention It goes on for the latter half of the week, and there are going to be um, sessions from, you, you name it, everything from... Uh, FBI experts on ballistics will be there to talk about. So it's, it's for writers really, although it, it, the, the public can attend, um, for a fee, I think. And it's, I'm just so excited. It's an amazing opportunity. And I, I, I really can't believe I'm going to be sitting on a panel with RL Stein, who's like, <laughs> like, like, a, a, a lifelong, uh, inspiration to me.
2: That's amazing. And it's making me think of, um, There wasn't much in this book of, like, really, like, uh, technical stuff, but being able to, like, talk to people who are, like, on the field and really in these worlds that you're writing about and being able to draw information from them, that's insane. Because I always think about, like, you can't just Google this stuff all the time. That can't be the way that people learn how this actually works.
0: No, and it's going to be you know it's it's all happening in one hotel, and all the biggest, a lot of the biggest names in thriller writing are going to be there, and there's a lot of you know hanging out, going out for dinner and drinks, and just chatting about the craft, which is really exciting for me. I've done a lot of travel with this book. Um, It's the first book I've ever uh, published where I've actually gone to BEA BookCon and ALA and. Uh, a whole, you know, the Ontario library association, I've done a lot of traveling and book signings. It's all amazing. It's amazing to meet readers and librarians and booksellers, but to go spend, uh, three days with other thriller and mystery writers is is going to be something completely different. So I, I can't wait. It's going to be a, a total blast.
1: I literally, uh, I, I don't even know how I thought that Earl Stein, uh, wasn't with us anymore. Oh my gosh! (laughs) I don't know. I, I for some reason thought that they had passed, or for some reason. And when Tom had messaged me and said that they were going, that you're going to Thriller Fest, and you're on a panel with Arnold, I was like, oh, thank God!
0: I know, right? I mean, he's been around for a long time, and he is definitely still around. He's hilarious. I met him very briefly at the book expo, and. Uh, I, you know, I kind of went up, he had a signing and I went up and gave him a bookmark and said, I'm going to be on a panel with you. I'm a fan, I'm a total fan. He was, he had a lot of funny stuff to say. He's kind of dry and hilarious. And I I think, uh, it's going to be something else. I can't wait.
2: I feel like he was one of the first, like first authors that I was like aware of as like a human and not just be like, oh, this person's name is on a book I like, because I vividly remember watching, like watching the Goosebumps shows and maybe I had like a VHS or something of it and i had read the books a lot when i was little too but i think he did like introductions on some of the the tapes i'll be like hi i'm rl stein and like here's my stories and we'd like talk a little bit and be like wait you're like this this is what you look like you're like a person and you write all of this and it was just this this first connection of like an author to his actual work
0: yeah i think i'm i think you're right i remember those intros to the to the uh those videos and uh He's one of those authors who's been really connected with his it's almost like the the woman who wrote the Babysitter's Club. Like there's this whole era in the nineties where the, the authors became almost as famous as the books. And, uh, yeah, so it's going to be kind of crazy. And I expect to be on this panel sort of like, like completely speechless sitting at the back, just kind of goggle-eyed at everything that's happening. But I'm really, I feel really fortunate to be invited and I feel fortunate that this book is getting, keep this to yourself, is getting some attention because I'm, I'm quite proud of it. And, uh, you know, every time I do an event like this, it, it brings it to some new readers. So it's a lot, it's a, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. I went
1: to buy it for Sophie so she could have a copy of it. And both of our Barnes and Nobles were
0: sold out of it. Wow. Well, that's a, that's kind of cool.
2: It was, I, I mean, in the moment I was like, I, I can't have the book. But I was like, I mean, I guess that's good that it's doing really well. But I want to also have my own copy. They also, I think I tried, I think I hit like just the window where I needed to read this for our scheduling, where it was like just, I think, I called the, cause I did call the library too. I was like, why I just should just get it from the library. what am I doing? Um, and I think that I had talked to them. They're like, okay, we're getting it in next week, but it's not here yet. And I was like, I need to record though. I don't have time.
0: So I, every time someone calls a library, an angel gets its wings because I love that libraries are hearing about the book. And it's actually, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's slowly building and it's appearing in different places. So bit by bit. And, uh, Yeah. And I know that, Sophie, you're more of an audiobook person, right? Is that right?
2: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I love audiobooks. I Well, it's just, it's so much easier for me because I work in an office where I can just kind of have headphones in, which is really nice. So I can just like eat audiobooks up all day, pretty much. Audiobooks and podcasts, like all day.
0: Yeah, I'm totally the same way. And so uh, top secret just for super lit uh listeners I, I don't even know if i'm supposed to say this but i there will be an audiobook of, of keep this to yourself and i hope to have casting news soon which will be very exciting so um just wait a little while longer and it'll be available in audio too that's so exciting
2: so i, can so I get the audiobook when it comes out and then i can re-listen and look for the clues
0: exactly or listen along to the book which i, I would recommend too and it's my first audiobook i've never had an audiobook so this is pretty cool
2: Uh, that's I'm always fascinated because it does make a huge difference who's reading the books it's always like the first thing I notice and in like really heightened scenes like there's a lot of scenes in this that are like confrontation with characters and there's a lot of dialogue quick dialogue that's like really important and having someone who can read that really well and get that like feeling that you want um yeah I'm excited to hear it
0: yes and I'm very I can't announce it now but I'm very excited about the narrator it's going to be amazing so uh, it's all it's all kind of everything's happening in a really fun exciting rolled out way so stay tuned for more news
1: that's really exciting and i'm it's so nice to hear that you're excited about it too
2: i can't wait i'm so excited now
0: yeah and it's a different experience listening to a book is different from reading and they're both amazing i love to read and i love to listen and uh um so i'm keen keen to hear it for sure
1: i guess i mean i'm i think i'm out of questions um do you have any more, Sophie? Uh I just have
2: a handful about Carly Ray Jepsen that I <laughs> needed <you> to answer. <laughs> no.
1: Oh my <laughs> God. I'm just not prepared. It's okay. I don't really I mean I know Carly Ray Jepsen music and Sophie's probably gonna cut my foot off for even saying that. But I, I I'm not like a huge Carly Ray Jepsen fan. Like if someone were to be like, hey, come to a concert with me, I wouldn't say no. But I I'm not uh familiar
0: with uh All the A and B sides. I know. Okay. So I know, and I know a bit, but I'm just, I'm just past the age where I'm on top of my pop music and I'm embarrassed for it because, you know, talk to me 10 years ago and 15 years ago for sure. And I would have known literally everything about everybody. Um, but, you know, I, I do respect her. She's our Canadian pop princess. She is from north of north of the, the border, so, uh, you know, I give her all respect. And she did start on Canadian Idol, which is, you know, I've had my own Canadian Idol experience, and so I've got to give her props in, in that regard as well.
2: Yeah, wait, we need to hear about that a little bit.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I set myself up. Anyway, long story short, way back when I was just a young thing, Canadian Idol season one, I believe it was 2002, 2003 maybe, 2002, uh, traveled the country of Canada looking for singers just like they do down down south of the border. And I, I, you know, slept in line on the sidewalk to be there for the first Canadian Idol auditions in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I made it through. So I think a lot of people don't realize this about how the Idol shows work is that there's three rounds of, at least three rounds judging and the first two you don't see on tv before you ever get to see simon cowell or whoever they um make you go through like a cattle call where they take you into a room with like 15 or 20 others and there's a panel of judges and there are no cameras and they just say okay sing now you sing now you sing now you sing and they put you on one side of the room or the other side of the room and so i made it through that round and they put me through to the next round. So that was good. And then I made it to the second round, which was also not on camera, but it was a bit smaller. I had, I was by myself, walked into a room of producers. And again, the, 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 the celebrity judges were not there. And they had me sing. And they made me sing five or six songs. And they finally, at the end, they said, okay, we're going to put you through. We're kind of, you're on the edge, but we're going to put you through to the final day. And then I had to go back the next day. And this is when the celebrity judges, so the Canadian Simon Cowell, Paula Abdul, JLo people were, were there to kind of uh, judge you through to the next round. And so I was pretty excited and I brought my brothers with me and I lined up. I, or no, I showed up to the, the casino, which is where they were doing it. And they, Finally called my number and I walked through the big doors and into the room with, you know, 10 or 15 cameras pointed at us. And I walked up and there was a table just like you see on American Idol. And the Canadian Simon Cowell was there. There really was a guy who was like a Canadian Simon Cowell. He looked like Simon Cowell, but he was a Canadian producer. And Sass Jordan, who was like a Canadian pop star from the 80s, (laughs) all these people. And I walked up and I started to sing my song. And I was like one line into the song. And the Canadian Simon Cowell put his hand up and he said, stop. And so I stopped and he said, in all my years on earth, I have never seen a more boring performance. Oh no,
1: that's (laughs) terrible.
0: Okay. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, so I'm not making it through. And he was like, no. (laughs) So I turned around I went out and my brothers were waiting and they were like, did you make it? I was like, no, I didn't make it. I'll tell you on the way out. Anyway, long story short, it was very demeaning and it felt really bad. And I'd always liked to sing. I grew up singing and, you know, I got over it obviously, but it was kind of hard to have somebody tell you you're the worst performer on earth. But about five or six years later, I ended up writing a book. It's a middle grade book that I wrote called big time. And it's basically the exact same story about a, a young teenage girl who has the exact same experience. And he says the exact same thing to her, but then she goes around and turns lemons into lemonade. So I like to tell that story to my middle grade, uh, presentations to the classes when i go into middle grade classes and tell them you know everything that happens in your life could eventually turn into a book if you think about it the right way
2: i usually threaten my parents with that when something weird happens i'm like "Mm -hmm, this is going in the memoir
0: yes exactly and when you start writing books people are scared of you in a certain way which is pretty it's valuable at times
1: i've told my mom and dad that uh I, if they say something cross to me, I'll get it tattooed to my body, which I, I do have a text for my mom tattooed to my arm, but it's like a one. And she's like, so I should be aware of what I'm sending to you. And I'm like, Oh, absolutely. Cause it'll just be on my body forever.
0: Oh my God. I've never even thought about that. That's wonderful.
1: It's like a really silly threat that um, I think they're just like, yeah, you go sit through that tattoo session then. Um, but it's, what, what song did you sing?
0: i can tell you when i look back on this period of my life i think that there must have been some stuff going on emotionally but it was a bad choice and i should have been told to go away but anyway you grow up and you learn a lot but if i if i meet in person if i meet you in person i'll tell you secretly through whispers perfect
1: i'll be sure to never tell anyone
0: i love it this to yourself. keep it to yourself ah! awesome all
1: right. Well, Sophie, I, I mean, I'm like all oh, I'm I'm just fangirling at this point um, and I sh- i need to be stopped. Uh, Sophie, do you have anything before we let Tom go?
0: Uh,
2: no, I think I think I covered everything. I'm excited for the audiobook. I'm just going to keep thinking about that for a while.
0: <laughs> Yay! Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I'll just give my I'll give uh, a plug for next year. I have two books coming out next year, if I can tell you a bit about those. Oh, my oh, gosh. Please. Yes, please. Okay, so one of them is... We're about to announce the title and reveal the cover very, very soon. And it was co-written with my friend Robin Stevenson, who's a really fantastic, wonderful, well-known uh, young adult author here in Canada. And it's... Um, I can't tell you the title yet because we've changed it and it's about to be announced. But it's basically, it's a queer road trip novel, YA novel, set at Toronto Pride and so we're very very excited about that it's going to come out next spring from running press and we have all sorts of cool promotional stuff planned we're hoping to do some pride festival um, launch events and uh so that book was a lot of fun to write it's her character's a queer girl from the west coast of canada and mine is a queer guy from the east coast of canada and they're cousins who end up on a crazy road trip to toronto pride and they meet all sorts of wild queer characters along the way. It's the queerest book I've ever worked on and we both are very proud of it. And so that comes out next spring. And then next fall, I have another thriller mystery coming out with Albert Whitman and it's called, I hope you're listening. And it's the story of a 17 year old uh, queer girl named D who starts a top secret uh, incognito true crime podcast. Um, to get over the guilt of the fact that when she was 10, her best friend was abducted while they were playing in the woods together and it was never solved. So it's kind of a cross between, I don't know, My Favorite Murder and True Detective is how my agent described it. And um, so I'm really excited about both of those books. They're both quite different from each other. And so 2020 is going to be completely off the the chain. I am going to be uh, going all out all year and I can't wait. Those both sound so amazing. I'm so excited about both of them.
2: Yes, I love a, I love a book with a, a queer lady and a queer boy So me mean, Brendan can just identify with the characters <laughs> and just yell at each other about it.
0: Yeah, well, if you ever want uh, to chat with me about either of them, I'm, I would love to come back. This was so much fun.
1: Yes, thank you so much for talking to us about your books and for uh, talking to us about your future books, too. That is so exciting.
0: Do you know what? Canadian Idol notwithstanding, things are going well, so I, I really appreciate the chance to come and chat, <laughs> chat with you both. And, uh, yeah, this was so much fun. I hope that the rest of your summer goes really well, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Oh, my gosh, thank you.
1: That's so sweet of you to say to
0: us.
2: I'm excited to dig into some of these books, too, that you gave us for suggestions, because I think this is going to be a good summer reading.
0: Great. And if you're if you're ever looking for anything else, I read a lot, so uh, just come poking at me on Twitter.
2: Ooh, will do. Absolutely.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: All righty. Well, um, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, who is my special guest again? His name is Tom Wright. <laughs> oh, do I say that now? Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Leave uh, that in hi i'm
1: tom ryan and i was the special guest
2: three perfect. anxious people wait for an empty <laughs> mic for someone to talk
1: first oh my god see this is why i shouldn't be allowed to do this but honestly if for, for anything, anything i can, I can sin sin listen to this. to this we're live on the air perfect um but yes my name is Brandon patrick we have sophie and we also have tom ryan and you've been listening to Superlit. lit
2: and music here we go <laughs> <laughs>
1: Bye, all. Thank you so much.